0: team you're given a feature or features to build so you're not even told it's not like they say oh we're doing you want to do this feature because we're going to increase revenue this way they don't even they rarely even share that if that logic even exists now and of course an empowered product team it works the up opposite they start by saying what the managers and leaders go to the product team with is they say This is the outcome we need. You figure it out. So you begin as a product team, you know what the outcome you're focused on. And that's why we say in a product team, a real product team, we're measured by outcomes, not by outcomes.
1: Welcome to Product with Benash. I'm Axel and in this show, I talk to product leaders and experienced operators across Europe and beyond. Together, we'll learn about their craft, how they build successful products and unpack the frameworks and secrets they've used in delivering growth for their businesses.
2: I am super excited to be joined today by Marty Kagan from the Silicon Valley Product Group. For those who still don't know who Marty is, let's just say he's often referred to as the most influential person in the product space. He's the author of Inspired, who's a best-selling book you must have heard of or read. Empowered, which also we'll be talking about today. In the latter part of this show, um, I'll be joined by Lucie Buisson, Chief Product Officer at Content Square, and Pierre Fournier, who was formerly CPO at Mano Mano. Lucie and Pierre are both part of a uh, French CPO, a network of French product leaders. Without further ado, for my very first live interview, let's welcome Marty. Hey Marty, how's it going? Good, Axel, thanks very much. Um, it's really good to have you. Um, the people uh, here in the French product community were super excited about this event. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this
0: with us. Um, how, uh, how, how, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good, thank you. We're, it's yeah? like a wild time in the US, but hopefully getting a little better.
2: Okay, amazing. Before we dive in, um, for the people who uh, are watching and who will be listening in later, as this session uh, is probably going to be turned into a podcast as well, um, why don't you um, tell us a few words about the book, who it is intended for, and what drove you to write it?
0: Um, sure. Well, like you said, many people have heard of Inspired. Inspired is really uh, was it intended for product teams, product managers, designers, engineers, and how they work together to solve hard problems. But one of the things that I learned once uh, Inspired spread, uh, especially when it spread outside of the Silicon Valley bubble, uh, I realized that in many companies, uh, well, what I heard from teams was that they wanted to work the way it talked about in Inspired, but their managers and their leaders were not letting them work that way. Uh, and I that, of course, was a pretty shocking to me and I wanted to understand why. And when I started to uh, investigate, I learned that it wasn't just the uh, techniques of strong teams that needed to be shared, but in many companies, they didn't know how strong product leadership is done. And so I realized a couple years ago that I really needed to share the best practices of strong product leaders. And of course, when I say product leaders, I mean, managers and leaders of product management product design and engineering and uh and so it began a two-year project to write up uh, those techniques and that's what just uh, released and
2: correct me if if i'm wrong but empowered is uh now part of a, a series right so there's inspired empowered and uh it looks like there will be other books as well right
0: Yes, I have two other partners that are working on other books, one around product marketing called Loved, and the other one on uh, transformation for those especially big companies that are trying to transform, and it's called Transformed. Okay, amazing.
2: Um, We've seen a lot of people in technology publish their work late last year, coming into this year, um, and I'm just wondering whether COVID... Uh, as such, has afforded you some downtime and allowed you to kind of like write this book and wrap it up and and get it ready for this year. Has that helped at all?
0: It definitely did. I mean, that's sort of the silver lining. Uh, Almost a year ago now, I I was on a business trip actually in Australia when uh, the COVID thing happened and I had to grab one of the last flights back. to uh san francisco uh and then i couldn't go anywhere and so i was already writing the new book but um the, it wasn't actually due till about now the manuscript but i had nothing else to do uh, and this was before we really started doing video coaching and advising so I had several extra months that I didn't plan on. And as a way to distract myself from <laughs> the craziness of the world, yeah. I wrote like a madman. And, um, and yes, I, uh, I did finish the book about six. It, it was actually released about four months before it was planned to. Okay, amazing.
2: Really good news. I know this is going to be super helpful uh, for a lot of product people out there. Um, I'd like to um, offer some thoughts on your tremendous work as well. Um, so I just recently finished reading the book, and I have to say, in the way the book is written with concrete examples and case studies uh, and the leader profiles uh, you do in some of the chapters, it's probably the easiest read I've had when it comes to a business book. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. So uh, well done on that, really. Um, and I really also enjoyed parts two and three about uh, coaching and staffing. I know these can be quite complex to handle, especially for first-time leaders. Um, and I know a lot of people will be eager to hear about some of these topics tonight. So um, uh, if, you, if, you, if you'll allow it, let's go straight into some of the questions um, I have about the book and I think, uh, some people might be interested, uh, uh in as well. Is that okay? Absolutely. Amazing. Um, about staffing and, and PM backgrounds and career paths in general, I know a lot of people here in the French product community have a lot of questions about this and it's probably true of other parts of the world as well. Um, I really enjoyed the very first part of the book where you draw lessons from top tech c- companies. Um, you describe what you've seen in, in some well-established companies uh, as striking, for example, uh, a product strategy that is really about trying to please as much as, of the business as possible, right? So pleasing business stakeholders. You also mention Amazon and how it's in, its, it, it's in a prime position to take over businesses where teams are not empowered, um, in France, for example, over a quarter of the product managers are from an engineering background um, and if you know, we do a comparison and we look at Amazon, it looks like a lot of the product managers there often come from a former life as a management consultant uh, or uh, you know, people from uh, McKinsey or Bain, this type of you know, background. To what extent do you believe that this, um, this business background makes them better suited for a role in a company like Amazon? So that's my first question. And do you think there's a wider trend in the US, PMs coming from a business track versus engineering or tech, for example?
0: Uh, well, it's a, it's a good question. I, um, this, the challenge, both you and me, Uh, Unless I have never seen anything that shared the actual breakdown of the backgrounds of product managers from Amazon, or really from any company. Google, it's sort of not a secret. They are very, very heavily based on engineering background. But for most of the best companies, it's not so well known. Anecdotally, I know more, most of the product managers I know at Amazon also come from engineering backgrounds. Uh, and you know, full disclosure, so why my background was engineering, uh, and you listed, you know, you said about a quarter of the PMs in France came from engineering. My guess is about a quarter of them come from business as well, (laughs) just like, so I don't know that it's actually any difference. Um, and in my experience, it's not really any different. Fundamentally, the good companies are all looking for the same thing, which is not really about what your education was. They're looking to find smart people that know how to solve hard problems, that know how to learn new areas and really come up with great solutions. And they don't really care so much. Now, Google used to care. They don't care as much as they do anymore because they did an analysis and found that wasn't really the thing that made the difference. So. Uh, yeah, it's not about that. I know a lot of great product people from engineering. I also know from so many different areas. Uh, but, you know, it's probably the most common is they either come from business, they come from yeah. design, or they come from engineering. Those are probably the three main ones. But, um, no, I care. We Most companies care much more about the individual than what, you know, their education was in.
2: Okay, great. Um, You also talk about um, delivery teams um, and you talk about um, a common trait that empowered teams have, which is being assigned a problem to solve um, and their practice of product discovery. I found this really interesting. You say and I quote and I have to take the book to do this because it's a it's a little bit of a paragraph. um, You say there's actually a third type of technology team, which is referred to as a delivery team or scrum team or dev team. A delivery team doesn't even pretend to be a true product team. They are not cross-functional and they are not empowered. There is a product owner and some number of engineers. They are purely about output, code and ship. If you're running a process like SAFE, then this book is unfortunately not for you and truthfully. I have no idea why you would want to read this book, since what I describe here is the polar opposite, both philosophically and practically. So while I for one totally agree with this observation, there's a lot of debate over application of agile methodology and what makes for a great product team, right? Um, Many organizations today, this is certainly something we notice here, uh, lack a culture and practice of product discovery. We know from successful tech companies that Discovery is crucial in building a product that customers live and uh, love, sorry, yet work for the business. My impression is that many companies avoid Discovery as a whole because they don't understand it very well, um, as, or as not, not as well as they understand delivery, for example. Um, why do you think um, it is that Discovery is not top of mind for these organizations, and how can one um, still uh, try and, and make a change in the right direction? So for some of the product leaders listening to us now.
0: Okay, well, that's a big topic for sure. So first of all, let's separate the delivery teams. Um, you know, if, if delivery teams are really just there to code, they're, they're not really what we find in a product company so um they're more in you know the big banks things like that insurance companies where it's really it and not product engineering so i rarely come across those kinds of companies but there are still two other kinds of product teams and those are called i refer to those as product teams real empowered product teams and feature teams now it's what you need to realize is that discovery is only relevant in a real empowered product team. It's irrelevant in a feature team because in a feature team, and unfortunately most in a product companies, most product companies, that's what they have, feature teams and those those feature teams do have people with a title product manager or at least product owner and then they have a usually some kind of product designer but the difference is they're not given problems to solve they're given features and projects to build so they're given a roadmap with a bunch of features on it if you're already given a feature to build then what does it mean to do discovery you're already given the solution it might be a terrible solution but That's not up to you, you're just told build it. Design, a little design, maybe a little usability testing and build. So discovery is kind of not relevant. Discovery comes into play when you're not given a roadmap of features, but you're actually given a problem to solve. So rather than be told, oh, we need to add uh, online help videos to our onboarding process, that's a solution that may or may not do anything. Instead, you're given a problem like, not enough of our customers successfully onboard. <laughs> okay, that's a problem. Now, the team then is to able to discover a solution that actually works. Uh, and that's where discovery comes into play, to come up with a solution that's valuable, usable, feasible, viable. So the reason most companies don't use discovery is because they're not asked. To solve hard problems. They are asked to implement features. Now, I wish I could say, uh, you know, this never happens in Silicon Valley. They're all awesome. But if you go to somewhere like Italy or Spain, you know, they're all feature teams. This is not true though. Uh, There are terrible feature teams right in San Francisco, and there are excellent true product teams in Barcelona, in you know bologna they're they're everywhere uh, if you find the right company with the leaders that understand this, and so that's really the difference you're looking for, and this is what it means to empower a team they are that's what it literally means to empower is they are allowed to figure out the best solution to the problem rather than just design and code a feature on a roadmap.
2: Um, I hear, uh, I hear um, in the community here in, in France anyway, I hear a lot of product managers reach out and they say, you know, it feels like they want to act la- as change agents in their companies. They might be head of products or um, product lead or VP of product um, and they've just arrived and they realize they've inherited a feature factory um, and they, they want to make this shift, right? They want to move to a roadmap of features to a roadmap of problems to solve. Um, what advice would you give these people so that they can be these change agents within the company? How how do you, how have you seen people tackle this, for example, from the companies you've uh, you've worked with in in the US or globally?
0: Well, uh, just not to uh, to. Um do too much self promotion here but that is why i wrote the book empowered um and it's not an easy book as you you read it there's you know there's more than 400 pages of quite a few hard topics so the answer to that question the serious answer to that question is not easy um of course a lot of people will tell you oh you just need to move to agile but of course that doesn't even barely tap into anything. It's a much bigger situation, a much bigger problem. So the te- the, there are quite a few things um, an individual team member can do, but fundamentally this really gets to the leaders in the company. And unless the leaders want to change, it's difficult.
1: Do you feel stuck, not knowing how to tackle a problem? Or are you looking for a solution to help your team members grow in their craft? Either way, check out panache.io. Panache works with product leaders to bring expert insights and proven frameworks you can use in your role as a product person. Companies like Atlassian, ContentSquare, and Miracle all choose Panache to provide the right level of training and coaching to their product teams so they can perform at their best. Whether you're a product leader or an individual contributor, Head to panache.io to get an idea of how we can help you level up today. Check out panache.io. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O.
0: I love visiting companies in France. I mean, because it's France, first of all. And so I've never yep, You, can, you bad, can make a holiday out of it. Yeah, I've never had a bad visit to anywhere in France. So it's just... But I will say... It's always been a little frustrating. First of all, the talent in France is as good as or better than most places in the world, especially engineering talent. But so many of the companies are big, old, slow companies that don't want to change. So for me, that's so frustrating because I see all this potential, especially potential is especially engineers, and then I see these, you know, dinosaurs in management that don't want to do here, you know, they don't want to change anything. Now, and of course, what I see, and I think this is really unfortunate, but what I see is a lot of very good engineers leave France to because they feel like they have to go to a place that they can be appreciated and they could really be used. Now, there are great exceptions to that. And I, I have been wanting the startup community to really take off. But but Paris should have one of the best tech hubs in the world by rights. It should. Yeah. Well, the only reason it doesn't, I think, is because, well, I mean, get into politics and policy and stuff like that. But it does require that leaders of companies be open to different ways of working. And I would love to see more of those kinds of leaders in France. And I
2: think we've seen a lot of change, especially this year. as we. It, it was really strange because it felt like as we went into lockdown with COVID, et cetera, I think a lot of people had um, time to reflect on their practice and, and how they were doing product management every day. And I think we, uh, a group of us here in France that all started, you know, bubbling product communities in different uh, shapes or forms were, were discussing and we thought there's a lot happening this year, particularly, and I think And that's obviously my opinion, but I think things are moving in the right direction. I'm surely seeing a lot of strong signals just moving back from the UK where maybe the product maturity, product management maturity is at a higher level. I'm seeing a lot of positive signals in how this market is moving. I'd like to talk a little bit about another really interesting part of the book I really, really enjoyed, which is about diversity. In chapter 26 of the book, which is about competence and character, you talk about the unintended and damaging consequences of hiring people like us is that they too often think like us. So if I'm a hiring manager and I'm going to hire someone tomorrow, I'm just going to hire someone that looks like me. And this really... Resonated because it's something I surely have been guilty of in the past. Uh, and I know a lot of people have gone on this same journey as well. And I, I really wanted to ask besides making a point to look for people that are clearly not like ourselves, what hiring strategies have you witnessed that cultivate diversity of thought in an organization?
0: Yeah, and I I would emphasize, and I try to in the book too. It's it's not just that they look like skin color like us, but it means that I mean literally I can't tell you how many hundreds of hiring managers I've talked to where they're they're very specific. They have to have gone to one of these five universities, <laughs> and they have to have not only did they have to go to the right school, they have to have had the right. Major, they have to have the right. Sounds very sounds very familiar. <laughs> I mean, and I'm like, well, well, why? You already have people like that. How would you expect them to approach a problem differently? So, uh, what I try to emphasize is, you want people with different life experiences. You want to have people that learn differently, that think differently, that, and this is why in In the broadest sense of diversity, you really want because we I mean we have really good data at this point that innovation is a function of the number of perspectives you get on your team so and honestly, this has always been a an, an accidental advantage of Silicon Valley is so many people come from all over the world, including france to to join teams in Silicon Valley, and so it's not unusual. For, in fact, it's normal in product teams that you have some Russians and some Chinese and some Japanese and some you know, Germans, and you just have everything Indian in that team. And those people are bringing cultures, they're bringing perspectives, they're bringing different thoughts from different professors or different you know, institutions. So that's the first part is you really want that diversity of thought. Because when you're trying to solve hard problems, different perspectives is really what we're looking for. Now, the other part you asked is like, how do you do that? And the main thing that's really that good companies understand, I would say Amazon is another great example of this, is that the hiring, if you're trying to build a strong team, especially if you're trying to build a strong team of diverse perspectives, the hi- it won't happen when you depend on HR. HR can't do that, won't do that. It has to be the hiring manager. And the way I like to explain it is with just this has existed, this reality has existed in sports forever. If you're a uh, coach of of a serious sports team, you don't just hope people walk on and say, oh, I'd like to play for you, <laughs> you which is what happens with HR. It's like somebody sending you a resume. And coach, what they do is they say, we need somebody that's strong in this. So what do they do? They go look for those people. They go out. Uh, coaches obviously go to lower schools and they, they look for athletes. But what we do as a hiring manager is we go to things like meetups. We go, we hold community events, talks, and we start to meet people in the community. And when we meet people that are different this way, we, we introduce ourselves and we say, you know, have you ever considered a career with Amazon? Have you, you know, we, we actually really value people that come from your kinds of experience. And, and if that's something you're interested in exploring, we should grab a coffee or we should do a zoom call. And so a good manager, and I was taught this, by the way, 30 years ago, I was taught this by my managers, the way you staff your positions is you go out and recruit. You don't want the people that just come in through LinkedIn, you know, resumes. You want to go out. You've got to chase, right? Yes. Yeah. And I do that. I mean, some of the people I have recruited, I've worked for multiple years to recruit.
2: Super interesting. And I think we're seeing more of, you know, proactive approach to hiring in technology rather than reactive, you know, you, you send a request to HR, they write a job description, or they help you write a job description, they start sourcing, and then you, you're just waiting for CVs to lend on your lap. But really, what you really want is to be in a position where you can go out there and find who you think would be a great addition to your team. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people out there, it's first of all they need to hear that this is an option and that they don't always have to rely on their HR team. But they also need to, especially for first-time managers, I'm thinking when they are going to start this process, uh, understand that it's as simple as going on LinkedIn and doing a search, and that's the starting point, right? So I think some some of the some of the I'd say first-time managers need to be able to hear that and put that in practice. But thanks, thanks a lot for, for that feedback. I also wanted to talk a little bit about career trajectory for some of the product managers that we've seen, maybe the, the more uh, permanent ones anyway. We can see that there are great examples of former PMs across the world who are now leading entire companies. And I wonder whether as PMs and, and leads and heads of products, etc., over time, we acquire this particular set of skills, as product management is at the confluence of everything that happens in the company, you are almost singularly positioned to you know acquire all these skills and put them in action in you know one of the companies you might start later on. we've seen people like Stuart Butterfield, who's now CEO of Slack, who used to be a product manager, Ivan Zhao, who's now CEO of Notion, who used to be a product manager, or even Sundar Pichai, who is the, the CEO of Google, who used to be a product manager as well. To what extent do you think that today's product manager is actually tomorrow's CEO?
0: Well, this has been, this has been true for many years. In fact, in Obviously, there's venture capitalists all over the world, but in the major sort of uh, sand hill roads, venture capitalist world, it's pretty normal to not invest in a startup unless at least one of the founders is a former product manager that has- Interesting. Now, we have to be clear. I'm not talking about what most people think of a product owner. That's not a product manager. Right, We are talking about a true product manager for an empowered product team. In a, in a feature team, the product manager is really much more of a project manager. And those people are not what a VC is looking for. That is not a future CEO. But on an empowered product team, it is. And the, the reason why is because on an empowered product team, You know, you know what the designer does. They're responsible for a usable solution that's well-designed. And you know what the engineers do. It needs to be a feasible solution that's well-engineered. But the product manager is responsible to make sure the solution is viable for the business. In other words, it's something you can sell, market, support, handles privacy, security. And it also has to be valuable. The customer has to consider it valuable. So value and viability are what an empowered product manager is responsible for. If you think about it in a startup, that is exactly what the CEO is responsible for. Value and viability. And then that CEO has designers and engineers for usability and feasibility. So this is not an accident. It is absolutely intended to be that way. I, whenever I say this, it always anger, it gets some people angry because I, I know why they get angry. They're, they're thinking feature teams. But that's why the phrase for 20 years, a good product manager is the CEO of their product. They're not trying to say that they're the boss of anybody because they're not. They're trying to say just like the CEO is responsible for value and viability, a good product manager is responsible for value and viability.
3: Uh, I think Pierre, who's on the call
2: in in backstage, would really like what what you just said. We've had this conversation on one of the podcast episodes where Pierre made the argument that product owner is not an actual job. And I I think this might have seemed at the time a little bit bullish, but what we talked about was the fact that product owners are people doing a set of tasks in a company. And and literally, if you visualise it, some people really think it's a product owner ticking boxes. Have I groomed the backlog? Have I worked on you know the next step of, of this epic or, or this issue uh, in my backlog? Whereas we really think of product managers as the like you say the the people that are going to make sure that the product is is viable, right? And I think I don't know. Uh, you're probably at a different uh, level of maturity in the US around this, but has product ownership as a role completely disappeared or have are you seeing a trend where people doing product management are now, you know, as part of their product management duties, doing what a current product owner does? Or do you still see this divide between product owners and product managers?
0: Well, this is a... This is a big problem around the world, and we can talk about why. So first of all, technically, product owner has never been a job. It's always been a role. It's a role on an agile team. And now it is. it should be played by the product manager. So the product manager is the job. Now, in thousands of companies, unfortunately, what happened was the company moved to agile. And they didn't have product managers. They didn't have really anything like it. All they had was some project managers. They had some business analysts. They had people like that. And then they bring in an agile coach and the agile coach would say, well, we have a very important role, which is called the product owner. Who's going to play that? And so management would usually point to a project manager or a business analyst and say, well, since your role doesn't exist in agile, why don't you be the product owner? Well, okay, but then they'd say, "Well, I need some training," and they'd say, "All right, well, we have something called Certified Scrum Product Owner (CSPO) class. It's super easy. Go take it." And what happened, and I, and this is a problem around the world. What happened was that so many of these people, they learned how to do the product owner role, but they thought that meant they knew how to do the product manager job, and the result was incredibly incompetent product managers. So it's very important to realize product management is the job. Product ownership is the administrative part of that job. It's only about five or 10% of the work. So, and yes, we should not have, anytime I find a company that has product managers that are separate from product owners, I'm, I always say i 'd much rather use that headcount for another yeah. designer or another engineer we don 't need somebody to just be a product owner. That is a huge waste and it it wouldn't be it's obviously not a very satisfying job for the person. No.
2: Not at all. Okay, great. So it's re- 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 really good feedback. Thank you. I, I'd like to move on to uh, product strategy and focus. So you talk about product strategy in the book, and you mentioned that focus is one of the key traits of a successful product team. How can a product team or a product leader create the right environment that allows for focus? And how does one maintain it through time? Because one of, I think one of the challenges we see is that sometimes you can feel that there are phases or moments of focus in the, in the company, but at some other times it really feels like, you know, you're in the middle of total chaos and you're just, you know, trying to put out fires everywhere. Right. So how do you, how does, how can one create this environment that, that uh, promotes focus?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, we should acknowledge that focus is one of those concepts that exists at every level. Right. So if I'm a developer working on a piece of code right now, if I can't focus, we're in trouble. If I'm a designer and I can't focus, I'm in trouble. What we are talking about in what I'm talking about in the book, Empowered, is focus as it applies to product strategy. And that product strategy applies to all of our product teams. It doesn't make sense for every product team to have its own product strategy. It's a, What product strategy is really about is how do you get the most out of your product teams? So uh, you have to look holistically at this. And focus is the foundation of that. If you try to, you know, it's there's actually a product strategy that's sort of jokingly called the peanut butter strategy. This is when you spread yourself so thin because you don't focus. You just do a little bit on a thousand things and nothing moves a needle. That's, that's, that's really, it's, it's called the peanut butter strategy, but it's really no strategy at all. So a good strategy starts with focusing on the two or three things that really matter to the company. The things that if they happened, You could double your business in a year. If they don't happen, no matter what you do, it's probably not going to double your business in a year. So these are the few things that really matter. And of course, if you're a feature team organization, you don't even have people that are empowered to make these decisions. But if you are a real product company, then this is the responsibility of your product leaders, especially your head of product, CPO role. But that's a big topic, and it's the beginning yeah. of the product strategy work is to, to focus. Yes, and I think a lot of, uh, a
2: lot of companies, I've, I've noticed, not always have the, the, you know, the space. The people in their teams don't really have the space to think about how the work they are doing translates into impact. For example, they know they're working on a feature but they have no idea how this is going to impact the bottom line of the company, for example. I think- Even if it would. Even exactly,
0: it, exactly, in the first place. Like so actually, You're describing a feature team, just to be yeah. clear. Yeah, exactly. A feature team, you're given a feature or features to build. So you're not even told, it's not like they say, oh, we're doing, you want to do this feature because we're going to increase revenue this way. They don't even, they rarely even share that. If that logic even exists. Now, and of course, an empowered product team it works the up opposite, they start by saying what the managers and leaders go to the product team with is they say, this is the outcome we need. You figure it out. <laughs> so you begin as a product team, you know what the outcome you're focused on. And that's why we say in a product team, a real product team, we're measured by outcomes, not by outcomes. Yep.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Totally in line with that. Thank you. And before we move on to our guests uh, tonight, who will have some, some questions for, for you as well, I'd like to ask a couple of questions around maybe the 50,000 feet view of product management and, and your experience and hindsight, just working with a lot of companies and, and your position in, in that space as well. How do you see the craft of product management evolve in the next say, five to 10 years? I know you must be asked this question a a million times, but what are some of your thoughts on this?
0: Well, it's really hard to predict, of course, how these trends will play out. And also, it's it's important to separate what I hope will happen with what I think will probably happen. (laughs) For example, what I hope would happen is that the, the ratio, the percentage of teams that are really doing serious product work will grow significantly. And start, you'll start to see the feature teams and especially the delivery teams fade away. That's what I hope. Realistically, delivery teams are growing like crazy because the marketing machine behind those processes and so many CIOs are so clueless that they buy it and they want to go back to the old waterfall anyway. So even though they use words like agile, there's no agile there. It's just marketing. So it's hard to say which of those battle, you know, how that battle will play out. I, I will say that for the strong product companies, this I'm very confident of, they will continue To disrupt industries, they will. Amazon will continue to take over companies that are terrible. Uh, There's like in financial services, the startup Stripe. Which you may have heard of is yes. disrupting that space. You're going to see companies like that. Spotify and is doing a great job, and Slack, of course, and and Airbnb. They're just disrupting all these places. So good product work, I think, will continue to lead that disruption. And so I think that will happen. And the role I don't see changing much because I think value and viability don't go away anytime. <laughs> But the techniques that they use, we use, is getting better all the time. So techniques are evolving, but the principles, the role is not changing very much, just like with design, just like with engineering. So yeah, there's some big questions there about the future of the industry, but more if you, you, it's an easier question to answer when we just look in at the segment, which is serious product yeah.
2: companies. OK, great.
0: And just to wrap up
2: this section, uh, I know a lot of people uh, have asked this, this question when I crowdsourced some of the thoughts from the, the French product community. What are some of the differences that you see in the way people operate as product managers between, say, the US and Europe or France?
0: Well, I you know, I have... This is part of what I really like to do. I've worked with some great teams all over Europe, and including some of the earliest really internet successes. And in there, I really don't see any meaningful difference between them and San Francisco, New York, Seattle companies today. Or we could extend this to China, to Tel Aviv, to Sao Paulo. There are great teams everywhere. There are cultural differences all over the world, and. I, they're they're one of the, and this is not actually a cultural difference as much as a government policy difference, but one of the things that really is a big advantage in the US that I would love to see the rest of the world adopt is giving employees stock. That is, obviously, it is done in some companies, but in, you'd go to a typical French company, and they often don't give their employees equity. Skin in the game, right? Yes, yeah, skin in the game. Amazon Bezos likes to say, "We need our we need our employees." By the way, he says, especially product managers, to think like owners, not like employees. And he's like, the easiest way to do that is make them an owner. <laughs> and I have tried to explain to that. I mean, the truth is, most of the CEOs agree. They just they can be tax wise and and government wise can be difficult to do in France and in Europe in, in general and so i would love to see that fixed because i think that is a big win for everybody you really do want people to think like an owner to to this is also referred to as have sense of agency rather than just yep. a victim yes uh, so that's a cultural thing. And it's something that as a leader, you want to fight whenever you find it. You do not want your people to think of themselves as employees. You don't want
2: to, one of the metaphors this makes me think uh, about is you don't want your people to be spectators. You want them to be actors, right? You want them to be be involved. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to bring Lucy Buisson, who is Chief Product Officer at Content Square, onto onto the show now. She has a a question for you. So please welcome her. Lucy, there you go.
0: Hi, hello. Hi. First of all, I wanted to say thank you because I think like both your books and your blog is extremely valuable resources. I have to say that uh, reading your book and the blog is really part of the onboarding at Square. We already order books for everybody, the Empower book, so we are really looking forward to, to read it. My question is, actually, when I read Inspire the first time, the thing that struck me the most is your opinion on roadmap and how you think we need to kill the roadmap. And I would like you to elaborate for the group why do you think that classic roadmap creates team of uh, mercenaries instead of team of missionaries? And perhaps give us some tips to move from those uh, feature roadmap to an outcome-centric strategy? Well, good. And, you, you know, the answer is sort of embedded in your question there. <laughs> The, uh, for those that don't know, t- when we say a conventional roadmap, it's a prioritized list of features and projects. It usually comes from the stakeholders, either directly or indirectly. But there is a the problem isn't really where it comes from. The problem is it's a list of features and projects. And you have to realize a feature and a project, those are outputs. Those are possible solutions, they may or may not solve whatever underlying problem motivated that issue, that item. Now, in a feature team, you give the team that roadmap and you're told, this is what we need you to build this quarter as much as you can. And the difference is the team is asked to deliver those features. If those features don't actually solve the problem, it's not their fault. They didn't ask for it. So this is fundamentally why we don't like roadmaps is because they are disempowering as opposed to giving the team, the alternative is you give the team not the feature to build but the problem to solve. And that way they are on the hook. If their first idea of solving that problem doesn't work, then they know they have to come up with a better idea. And so now the team takes responsibility for solving the problem rather than nobody really taking responsibility. Now, there is a compromise that is very workable. It's not hard to do. And a few companies are doing it already. It's They're called outcome-based roadmaps. And the idea is that you go through your roadmap, however you do it today, and for each item on that roadmap you ask yourself, well, what problem is it trying to solve? And how will we know if we've succeeded? And so you start to share, in addition to build this feature, you say, and you'll measure success by this result, this impact. And if it doesn't happen, then the team can know, well, we have other ways of doing it. And what you're trying to do is, change the behavior of the executives and the stakeholders to be more focused on the impact than the feature. That's, how, that's one technique for transforming the organization. Thank you. Thank wow. you, thanks for that, Marty. Thank you, Lucy.
2: We'll switch over to uh, Pierre now, who also has uh, a question for you, Pierre.
4: Hi, hey, Excel. Hi, Marty. Very, yeah. uh, nice to be able to talk to you. I-, I would like to pay tribute first to Excel because uh, he started this podcast uh, six months ago and is now interviewing uh, Marty again. So that's quite a, a success. Uh, and thank you, Excel, for promoting product uh, on the French scene. And thank you, Marty, for the books. As you see, uh, sale. It's really a great source of uh, inspiration and. It's available for only 10 euros, thanks to the magic of books. So it's really incredible to be able to uh, benefit from your learnings. And my my question was, uh, do you think your book is in the right shelf in bookstores or in the right category on Amazon? You are in the engineering category, if I'm right. And I think that your book goes far beyond engineering or product management And for me, it's a book about global management and uh, about organization and governance. I don't know if you've read uh, Frédéric Laloux, Reinventing Organization with the Teal Organization Model.
0: I have not read it, but is that similar to Holacracy?
4: Well, there are some similarities, but it's not exactly the same, but the same mindset. So, so. Yeah, for me, your your book is so much more than only product management. And so the question was almost raised also by, by Excel, but how can we change not product leaders, but company leaders? Because at the end, as you said, they are the ones making this possible in terms of governance, in terms of organizations. Well, what can we do? Because I think that we do have now the, the right leaders in the product teams, but there is still a, a huge gap for company leaders and very yeah. hard to fight against.
0: Yeah, I understand. And just so you know, Amazon's got some crazy algorithm. They're constantly changing what category it's in. So, But it is, the book is intended at leaders, leaders, including CEOs, product managers, designers, and engineers. But the call i did just before this one was with the ceo of one of the largest banks in the world and that was literally the ceo so it is it has i think it's fortunately it's making it to the right people like you said it isn't trying to describe like how you should change finance or how you should change hr it is focused more on the people pr- building your products and services, you know, which is product design, engineering, those kinds of people, the data roles, the re- research roles. But but I, I I hope it is that certainly it is intended much more than Inspired was not. Inspired was aimed at teams, individuals on the teams. So I hope that more leaders will read it. There are many books, actually, the most recent book, and I thought it was a great read, is by Reed Hastings, the founder, co-founder of Netflix, called No Rules Rules. There are many books that talk about why the model I talk about, Empowered, is good. And these books are aimed mostly at CEOs. But there are many books. Uh, servant-based leadership talks about this. There's a great one called, uh, oh, what was it? Turn the Ship Around. Was it really? So, and honestly, uh, Startup Nation. There's a dozen books out there that are aimed at CEOs that really say why it's better to empower your people. But However, they don't, they don't say how. That's the difference. And so I wanted to focus on how do we do that for technology products? And so that's where it's trying to fit.
4: Agree, agree with you that so many times CEO just respond by, this book is right, and this is the way we should do, but we can't in our organization because we, do, we don't have the profiles. And you, you tell the story in your books. And so when, until that company dies, I have the impression that the CEO will always say, I know I have to do that, but I can't now.
0: In truth, in a lot of companies, the only reason they change is because a board member will Mm. threaten the CEO and tell them, if you don't want to change, we'll have to bring someone else in that can. I have seen that happen in many companies. And in other companies, the the CEO realizes it usually because there is the threat of a competitor. That has scared yep. them. Thanks. Sure.
3: Thank you guys. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, Pierre, for your questions. I really
2: enjoyed uh, having you, having you with us. Before we uh, move on to wrapping up this session, I have another question from Sébastien LeVagnon who couldn't be with us tonight, but he's very kindly recorded his question and, and sent it to me. So I'm going to try and bring this on and let's see if this works.
3: Hey, Marty. Good morning. I'm Seb from Payfit. First, I want to thank you for the tremendous work you've done over the last 50, 20 years, sharing all this great content. It's been a real inspiration and really helpful on a daily basis as a product manager. So thank you very much for that. I've got a question related to the evolution of this job. I've come across a study lately and the way we are uh, set up at at Payfit got us to create an hybrid product function that we call Product Builder. It's basically entrepreneurs working out skills from different functions, product management, designers, developers, and developing uh, a payroll application based off uh, a low-code platform, an in-house, low-code platform. The low-code or no-code platform have been rising over the last five years. My question is, do you think those applications, low-code application platforms, do you think they could have an impact on the way we'll be doing product management in the coming years?
0: actually i like the question a lot because it's uh, it's one of my favorite topics now of course the question is really about two things really one is about technology and the other is about a role the technology of course is the rise of no code or low code platforms or, or tools and from a product discovery point of view these tools have been fabulous And Because anything that lowers the cost of doing viable prototypes is good news. Now, of course, there are many ways to do this, many techniques and technologies. And with the rise of products like Figma and InVision, there's a lot more of these kinds of techniques of technologies available. So the tooling is great the second the other part of his question was this idea that well we we've, we've got this person called a product builder to do to use that tool well that is uh, not a new thing it's a new title that i don't even see used very much to be honest but there is a, the concept we used to just call them full-time prototypers that's all now the truth is Not many teams need that because in most cases, the designer is that person. Now, this assumes you have a serious product designer. If all you have is a graphic (laughs) designer, then no, you don't have that. But if you're a modern product team and you have a true product designer skilled in service design, interaction design, visual design, and the basics of user research, then you've got that person already on the team. That's a lot of boxes to tick. (laughs) Well, it's very common though today, that designer. You don't need another role, person, in most cases. And all this does is make it easier for teams to do this, not harder. It used to be harder. Ten years ago, we were still doing this, but it took a little longer to create these prototypes. Today, we can create these prototypes in hours instead of days. So that is, that's all good and, and absolutely. But if you found that you needed a fourth per, you know, another person, it's probably a sign that either your product manager wasn't doing what you need or the, because, because the question addressed or, or referenced entrepreneurial, obviously that should be the product manager. The designer is usually the one creating these prototypes and the engineers are playing with the prototypes every day in order to assess usability, Sorry, assess feasibility and to assess whether there's a better approach.
2: Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for, for a response to uh, Sebastian's question. I think we're coming up to the time. I want to take this last couple of minutes to... Thank you again for the time you spent with us today. Just as a quick reminder, your book is out now on available on Amazon. I got this copy on Amazon here in France, so books already available. I'm also looking forward to the other books in the series that you said were going to be written by your partners. Right. Uh, Are these going to be published uh, this year or when can we expect these?
0: it's hard to know with books when they'll they'll be done i'm definitely hoping at least one of them is out in 2021 and pretty confident by 2022 the second one would be out
2: okay amazing i will let you say a uh, last few words maybe if you want to say something to to the french product people out there listening uh, today
0: well, I just nothing special, I just hope this was useful, and I hope, you, um, I hope you either are lucky enough to work in a good product company or that maybe you can convince your leaders to give it a try, maybe just allow your product team to work that way, and if you feel like there's no hope in your current company, there's, I know there's other good companies out there, and so hopefully you'll be able to practice your skills.
1: If you're hearing this, you've listened to this episode all the way. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite platform. Also, if you have a minute, please consider giving us a rating as it helps other listeners find the show. You can find all the episodes and resources on panache.io podcast. That's P-A-N-A-S-H hio slash podcast. Until next time.